Hello, I'm Father Fred Caldwell, a Catholic priest in McKinney, Texas. And my name is George. I've been studying the Bible and religion all my life. Together, we'll be taking a new and often unexpected look at all things spiritual. And our podcast is named Soul Survivors. Hello, George. Good to be here this morning. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Now that we're inside a warm room and not walking around in the cold air outside, I'm doing really good. Well, one of the best things my daughter ever got me is I've got a coat that's heated. It's got a little battery operated, and it is cool. It's nice. It's cool? or It's, it's cool, meaning good. Oh, okay. <laughs> the hip lingo, it's cool. Yeah. Well, it's so cold that when I open the door to let my dog out, it sticks its little nose out, and it feels how cold it is. And if it's too cold, it turns around and goes back inside. And that's what she did this morning. If that's the same dog that I've seen before, that's not a little nose. That's a big dog. <laughs> no, that's right. We have a Rottweiler, and she is a big dog. Well, what are we going to study this morning? Well, I think we're going to stay with dreams. And dreams started back there in chapter 40. In that chapter, there were two people that were servants to the Pharaoh. There was a cupbearer, and there was a baker. And they got put into prison, put into jail, and Joseph got in there with them, and they had some dreams. And they told him what the dreams were, and the cupbearer's dream turned out good. He got to be free, but the other fella, he didn't come out so well. He got impaled in the Bible that I have, and in George, the Bible that you have, it doesn't say impaled. What does it say for yours? It says hanged and impaled. Okay. Hang, it says both of them. Yes. Well, that makes sure he's gone uh, if he's hanged and impaled. Well, from what I read is basically they cut off his head and then they hang him on a stake. And I think it would probably be just the body as kind of a warning. Don't displease the king or this is going to happen to you. It would be a warning to me. I'll tell you that. Well, as the cupbearer gets his good news that he's going to be taken out of that jail and he's going to be back serving as the cupbearer for for Pharaoh. So he comes out with a good deal. And Joseph said, now you remember me whenever you get back there, you let them know that I interpret the dreams for you and that they were favorable. And you tell them that so that he's hoping to get out of that jail that he's in. Now, we're going to have more dreams that are going to come in chapter 41. Okay, George, we've had the dreams now in uh, chapter 40 about the good things and about the difficult things. Now we're going to go to chapter 41, and we're still with dreams, so we're still in the source that's called E, that's going to be from the north. So, Father Fred, 40 and 41 were written by E? Yes, that's true. And you know how we know that? I bet you do. It's because of the dreams, isn't it? Yes, because E has a semi-personal relationship with God, where God presents himself in dreams. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have gone from dreams in 40 to dreams in 41. But 39 was written by Jay, correct? 39 was written by Jay. And that's because of the word Lord. Yah, yeah, Yahweh or Lord. Uh-huh. If it's from the south, it's going to be Yahweh or the Lord. And if it's from the north, it's going to be God. By the way, this book, The Bible with Sources Revealed, by Richard Elliott Friedman, and Friedman is spelled F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N, is a marvelous book if you would like to keep track of the E and J and P sources and even the redactor source uh, as you read the Bible because it's color-coded and it tells you J wrote this, E wrote that. And it's a really handy book. It certainly is. It's, 
you got that for me, and and I certainly use it. I use it for this podcast, and I use it at home just to. It's fun to find out who was writing what. Yes, sir. Okay, so what happens in forty-one? Okay, still going to be some dreams. Let's look at chapter forty-one to verse one. After a lapse of two years, Pharaoh had a dream. That's Pharaoh's time to dream. He was standing by the Nile. When up of the Nile came seven cows, fine-looking and fat. They grazed in the reed grass. Behind them, seven other cows, poor-looking and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and standing on the bank of the Nile beside the others. The poor-looking, gaunt cows devoured, they ate up, devoured the seven fine-looking fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He's had a dream, and now he has awakened. Now, he's still in bed, I guess, because verse 5 says, He fell asleep again, and he had another dream. He saw seven ears of grain, fat and healthy, growing on a single stalk. Behind them sprouted seven ears of grain, thin and scorched by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven fat, healthy ears. Then Pharaoh woke up again. It was a dream. Next morning, his mind was agitated, just like before with those two in the, in the prison. They were agitated. They didn't understand. These dreams bothered these people. So Pharaoh had all the magicians and sages of Egypt summoned and recounted his dream to them. But there was no one to interpret him. Now, at this time, it was a profession. If you were a magician, you were supposed to be able to interpret dreams when you lived in Egypt. And these people could not do it. Then in verse 9, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Now I remember my negligence. Once, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants, he put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the chief steward. Later, we both had dreams on the same night, and each of our dreams had its own meaning. Verse 12 says, There was a Hebrew youth with us, a slave of the chief steward. And when we told him our dreams, he interpreted them for us and explained for each of us the meaning of his dream. Things turned out just as he had told us. I was restored to my post, but the other man was impaled. Now some Bibles say he was hanged. Verse 14 says, Pharaoh therefore had Joseph summoned, and they hurriedly brought him from the dungeon. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Now, George, you had some ideas on what this means to shave and change clothes. What's that about, and what's this dungeon about, maybe? When I first read that, I thought it meant that he trimmed his beard, got a haircut, and kind of looked nice for the Pharaoh. But I read some commentaries that said this meant that he shaved his head and shaved off his beard and shaved his body. The Egyptians shaved their heads and so forth because they lived in Egypt and it was a hot, marshy climate and they had problems with fleas and lice and therefore they shaved to avoid fleas and lice. And so Joseph was following the custom of the Egyptians and shaving himself. So he's kind of adopting their culture at this point. And the commentators say that during the Babylonian captivity, 
where the Babylons conquered Judah, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego followed the custom of Joseph and adopted the habits of their culture so they would fit in, but they never compromised their values. And also, the word there, dungeon, is interesting. And I was thinking to myself, why in the world did they say dungeon? He was in prison. He was second in command of the prison. So why did they say dungeon? And I went and I looked at that original Hebrew word, and it means pit. The same word, I believe, that was used for cistern. So here, the writer is emphasizing that Joseph was pulled out of the pit. And I have some ideas on that that we'll get to in a minute. Okay. Now, we're going to go to verse 15. Verse 15 says, Pharaoh then said to Joseph, I had a dream, but there was no one to interpret it. But I hear it said of you, if he hears a dream, he can interpret it. And Joseph says in verse 16, he says, it is not I. It's not I, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God who will respond to the well-being of Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. Verse 18 says, When up from the Nile came seven cows, fat and well-formed. They grazed in the reed grass. Behind them came seven other cows, scrawny, most ill-formed and gaunt. Never have I seen such bad specimens as those in the land of Egypt. Verse 20 says, the gaunt, bad cows devoured the first seven fat cows. Ate them up. Verse 21. But when they had consumed them, no one could tell they had done so, because they looked as bad as before. Then I woke up. He's telling the same dream. Verse 22 says, Then I had another dream. I saw seven ears of grain, full and healthy growing on a single stalk. Before them sprouted up seven ears of grain, shriveled and thin and scorched by the east wind. And the seven thin ears swallowed up the seven healthy ears. I've spoken to the magicians, but there's no one to explain it to me. Then in verse 25, Joseph says, Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams have the same meaning God has made known to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven healthy cows are seven years, and the seven healthy ears are seven years, the same in each dream. Verse 27 says, The seven thin bad cows that came up after them are seven years, as are the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. Things are just as I told Pharaoh. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Verse 29, and this is a kind of a long chapter. Verse 29, seven years of great abundance are now coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will rise up after them. When all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, when the famine has exhausted the land, no trace of the abundance will be found in the land. Because of the famine that follows it, for it will be very severe. Verse 32 says that Pharaoh had the same dream twice means that the matter has been confirmed by God and that God will soon bring it about. 
verse 33, Therefore, let Pharaoh seek out a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh act and appoint overseers for the land to organize it during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these coming good years, gathering the grain under the Pharaoh's authority for food in the cities, and they should guard it. This food will serve as a reserve for the country against the seven years of famine. Those years are going to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish in the famine. This advice pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. I don't know how it would please somebody to know that you're going to have seven years of a famine, but they're going to prepare for it, aren't they? I guess that's what pleased them, is the preparation for the famine. And you know, it's kind of like God is in our lives. He's going to have some bad times, but there's going to be the good times that are going to make up for it. And, and that God is not going to be leaving us because we're going to have some bad times. Verse 37 says, This advice pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And then verse 38 says, Could we find another like him? Pharaoh asked his servants, A man so endowed with the Spirit of God? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there's no one as discerning and wise as you are. Verse 40 says, You shall be in charge of my household, and all my people will obey your command. Only in respect to the throne will I outrank you. So he's giving him everything. Joseph is being blessed by God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Look, I put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. With that, Pharaoh took off his signet ring and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. What does that make us think of, George? Or what do you, do you have any thoughts on that? I think it's kind of interesting. So we're going back to the word pit. Joseph was brought out of the pit. He shaved. He was brought before Pharaoh. And now he is given a new set of clothes and elevated to second in command. It's almost the opposite of what happened to him earlier. Earlier, he had a lofty position in his father's household. He had his clothes taken from him. And then he was put in the pit and sold into slavery. And now the story is going backwards. And Joseph is elevated to where he was before, and even more elevated than he was before. You know, in the scriptures, whenever we put on a new set of clothes, it means that we have a new role, a role that's going to be something that God wants us to do in our lives. And I wonder if that's kind of the purpose of baptism. Well, I know the purpose of baptism is to symbolize a new life with God. And so I'm wondering if that's perhaps the reason why they emphasize new clothes Baptism for a Catholic, I think we'd have to go back to the Old Testament. I think that Abraham was going to be a spokesperson for God. God told Abraham that I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. There's one sign that I want you to have so that the world will know that you belong to me. And that is I want every male in your family to be circumcised. Now, this didn't mean that they were making a decision for this is what we're going to do. This just meant that the child, for instance, a baby, eight days old, was to be circumcised. That meant that he belonged to the family of God. 
And if he wasn't circumcised, he did not belong to the family of God. For a Catholic, it means this. When we are baptized, we become part of the family of God. But just like the Jews, whenever they're 13 or 14 years old, they have what they call a bar mitzvah for the young man, or if it's a girl, a bat mitzvah. The bar mitzvah means this time for the boy now to make the decision on his own. First, before that, he was in the family of God through the belief of his father. We have that belief in the Catholic Church that you become a Catholic in baptism because your father has the faith and you have the faith of your father. And then later on in the Catholic Church, we have what we call confirmation. Confirmation means we confirm ourselves. We confirm with our words what has been thought of and believed in by the faith of the Father. So, George, what do Protestants believe about baptism? They believe that when somebody, quote-unquote, reaches the age of reason, that they decide for themselves whether they're going to be baptized or not. Up until the age of reason, they are covered by grace. Kind of like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve didn't sin because they didn't know right from wrong. And until you reach the age of reason, you don't know right from wrong and therefore you're saved. But once you reach a certain age where you know right from wrong, then it's up to you to decide whether or not you want to become baptized. That's interesting, George. You know, I'm a Catholic priest, but before I was a priest, I was married for 32 years and my wife was Baptist. And she got baptized when she was, like you said, age of reason, around 12 or 13, something like that. But then after we were married for several years, I don't maybe maybe she was 40 years old, she decided that she didn't really know what she had been doing when she decided to get baptized. It was just something that says, well, you're 13 years old. That's when it's going to happen. She said, so I got to thinking that I didn't know what I was doing. I would like to be rebaptized and declare for myself my faith because I have a more mature faith right now than I had back then. You know, I've heard that before. And when I was a child, I would say maybe in junior high, somebody told me a similar story about somebody they knew getting rebaptized. And he said, well, I think about it like this. How much did the people on the day of Pentecost know? They were hearing the gospel for the first time and they repented and were baptized. Would those people need to get rebaptized as their faith increased, as they learned more? And this wise older gentleman said, no. He said, God takes you where you're at. If you are baptized and you don't have a full understanding of the gospel, but you believe that Jesus died for you, that's all you need. And I think he's right about that. I do, too. I think I, wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody could think that way rather than saying, well, we should be baptized at this time or that time and even get to where you condemn one another? Uh, because as Christians, we're brothers and sisters. We're not enemies. We're friends. We're not foes. That's right. Let's go back for just a moment now. To verse 42, Pharaoh took off his signet ring. Now, a signet ring was a ring that you could put into a clay, and it was, it was kind of like proof of this is approved by Pharaoh, or in this case, by Joseph, and which meant the same thing as Pharaoh. He gave him his signet ring. He also dressed him in robes of fine linen. That's going to be like royalty. And he put a gold chain around his neck. Now, gold signifies the power and 
and the wealth, not just of, of monetary wealth, but of wealth in our spirit with God. So kind of represents his status. His status, yes, with Pharaoh and with Egypt. Verse 43 says, Then he had made him ride in his second chariot. I guess Pharaoh rode in the first chariot, and he's going to ride in the second chariot. And as he rode, they shouted, A brick before him. Before him. Now, a brick means it can be pays homage. It can also mean they melt, knelt down. Now, that comes back to Joseph way back there with his family when he said, Others will be kneeling toward me. I'm glad you explained that because when you said a brick, I thought maybe somebody was throwing bricks at him. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say a brick. What, what was that word? A B R E K. Oh, A B R E K. Okay, gotcha. A brick. 43 still goes on. Thus was Joseph installed over the whole land of Egypt. He is the man. He's going to be the spokesperson. He's going to be it. He's going to be in charge of all of the grain. He's going to be in charge of everything. I think in one place it said the only thing Pharaoh had to worry about was what to eat. That was Potiphar. Potiphar, okay. Okay, let's go to uh, verse 44. I am Pharaoh, he told Joseph, but without your approval, no one shall lift a hand or a foot in the land of Egypt. I'm the Pharaoh, but they've got to check with you. You are going to be just like me. You're going to be right up there with me. Let's look at verse 45. Pharaoh also bestowed the name of Zephanath Paneah on Joseph, and he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of Heliopolis. And Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh. Now we've got Pharaoh and king. So the king was Pharaoh. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So I wonder how long he's been in Egypt. He's 30 years old now. How old was he when he was sold into it? 17. So that means he's been in Egypt now for how long? 13 years. 13 years he's been in Egypt. Don't you know he misses his family? Yes, <laughs> he definitely does. Even though the last thing he saw of them was when they sold him. Well, maybe he didn't miss them so much after that. <laughs> Still in verse 46, it says, After Joseph left Pharaoh, he went throughout the land of Egypt. Now, Father Fred, before you had mentioned that when it talks about genealogy and ages and specific dates, that's not the E or J source. Is that the case here? Yes. This is a different source. This is P. This is Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh the king. He's just giving some, some data there. And the next one, after Joseph left Pharaoh, he went throughout the land of Egypt. That is going to be by what we call the redactor. He's using that to tie the one before it, the phrase or the expression before it, to the one that's coming after it. And 47 says, During the seven years of plenty, when the land produced abundant crops, that goes with, with Joseph. After Joseph left Pharaoh, he went throughout the land of Egypt. During the seven years of plenty, when the land produced abundant crops. That's the redactor. Now we're going to go on down to a new topic. He collected all the food of these years of plenty that the land of Egypt was enjoying and stored it in the cities, placing in each city the crops of the fields around it. In verse 49, we read this. 
Joseph collected grain like the sands of the sea, so much that at last he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. 50 says, Before the famine years set in, Joseph became the father of two sons born to him by Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of Heliopolis. Joseph named the first Manasseh. Manasseh means he made me forget of all the problems that I've had. He's going to be my son. I'm going to have a son, and I can look to him rather than those problems that I had with my brothers back there. Verse 51 again says, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh, meaning God has made me forget entirely my troubles and my father's house. Just name your child that, and then you can go along okay. Verse 52 says, And the second he named Ephraim, meaning God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. How's he making fruitful, George? Yeah, he just helped him get a wife, helped him get elevated, gave him two sons. And gave him second in command to Pharaoh. He has reaped the good that God has for him. Verse 53 says, When the seven years of abundance enjoyed by the land of Egypt came to an end, the seven years of famine set in. This is not going to be good. Just as Joseph had said, although there was famine in all the other countries, food was available throughout the land of Egypt. When all the land of Egypt became hungry and the people cried to Pharaoh for food, Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. When the famine had spread throughout the land, Joseph opened all the cities that had grain and rationed it to the Egyptians, since the famine had gripped the land of Egypt. Indeed, the whole world came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain, for famine had gripped the whole world. Well, George, we've reached the end of this chapter. And a couple of things, you know, a question that might arise. There was one time it refers to a fellow named Potiphar. Another time it refers to a fellow named Potiphar. You think they're the same guys? From the commentaries I've read, some say yes, some say no. Some say they feminized his name because Potiphar accidentally became castrated in an accident. And after he became castrated, he became a priest of Ra. Now, Heliopolis is the center of Ra worship. Ra was the sun god of Egypt and the primary god of Egypt. And Heliopolis was the capital of Ra worship. Some translations say On, O-N, is the name of the city. They're the same city. So, as the Jewish tradition goes, after Potiphar was castrated, he became a priest of On. Now, here's something that's really interesting. Now, you had mentioned that in order to be in God's family, you had to be circumcised and you had to have a Jewish wife. So how did they get away with giving Joseph an Egyptian wife in this story? That's something that's interesting to think about. What are your thoughts on it? Well, from the commentaries I've read, the Jews came up with two ways to circumvent this. One is by saying that she may have been Egyptian, but she converted to Judaism. And so that's one way that they could be okay with the story. The second thing I read was that they have a tradition that Joseph's wife was the daughter of 
Dinah. Do you remember who Dinah was? Dinah was the daughter of Jacob. Right. And what happened to her? She was raped by Shechem. Right. And so the tradition is she was impregnated by Shechem, and they didn't want to keep this child, so they gave her up for adoption, and she was adopted by Potiphar. He became the priest of Ra, and then they gave the daughter of Potiphar, or Potiphar at this time, to Joseph. And either one of those scenarios would make it acceptable for Joseph to marry this girl. Yes, that second one would keep it in the line of the family of Abraham. And Ashenath is also known as Osnat, O-S-N-A-T-T. Now, if this is Potiphar's daughter, and she is a priestess of the sun god Ra, then this is a politically astute move. So Joseph gets a high-ranking wife. She gets a husband that is second in command. If this is Potiphar's daughter, he can't complain that his slave has been elevated to such a high position because his daughter is married to the slave now, and it would be embarrassing for him to say that. And any children that Joseph had would be free because Potiphar wouldn't want to claim that his daughter's children are, are his slaves. And with the name change, and by the marriage of this priestess of Ra, the Pharaoh is saying, Joseph has the gift of being a seer. So this is a really smart move on everybody's part. Now, George, with a famine throughout all the world and plenty of food down in Egypt, you bet that pretty soon those brothers of Joseph are going to be coming down looking for some food and they are going to find one big surprise. And looking ahead, it appears that chapter 42 is a combination of E and J. Is that correct? It's going to be a combination. Just kind of weave them. And if you take out the E and you just read the J by itself, you're going to find one complete story, just like with the flood. The Yahweh on one side, or you get God on the other side, and both of them make one complete story. So why did the redactor leave out the story about Joseph in the dungeon and interpreting the dreams? Well, maybe that was not in their story. Maybe they their story, they did not write that and include it. Okay, so the redactor is taking stories from both sources, and if they both had the story, he interwove it, and if they didn't, then he just used that one source. Any way to make it look convenient, like a, a straight story, uh, for instance, he did that with the flood. He didn't do that with the two stories of creation. With two stories of creation, he went through chapter one and read it all with one part, with just God. But in the second chapter, it's not God anymore, and it's an entirely different story, and it's Lord God in that one. So sometimes he wove them together, sometimes he put them side by side, just whatever would make it seem like flow the easiest. All right, Father Fred, as always, thank you very much for your time. It's been a wonderful day. Y'all have a wonderful, stay warm. It's, it's 18 degrees out there. God bless.